Well, good morning. I hope everybody's doing well this morning. Uh, my name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and we're really excited that you're here for week two of our series uh, that we've entitled, I Struggle Believing in a God Who. Now, if you've been with us for the last couple weeks, you know that beginning on Easter, uh, we asked you to submit anonymously some of the struggles that you have when it comes to faith in God, when it comes to belief in a good, loving, powerful God, um, some struggles that you have in your own faith journey. And so we're allowing those struggles that you submitted anonymously to sort of guide our time over the next four weeks. And uh, this, we are now entering into week two. When you walked in, you were handed what we call a worship guide uh, that looks like this on the front. And on the inside is the schedule of where we're going in this series. Um, Also, if you have your phone or your tablet, if you open it up to the Bible app and you click live events and Element Church, Not only are you going to have all the scriptures that we're going to cover today in the message laid out for you, you're going to have all the announcements we're going to make at the end of the service today laid out for you. Uh, There's also this this same schedule is in the Bible app, so you can kind of see uh, where we're going in this series uh, as we go down the road. I'm I'm really excited um, about a lot of aspects of this series. Last week we covered, um, I struggle believing in a God who allows pain and suffering. Um, which is probably, which was for us the most common anonymous question submitted, um, and is certainly one that, as uh, a pastor, I get frequently. Um, uh, just in whether it's I believe in God, but I struggle with why He would allow it, or I I can't believe in a God. Because there is pain and suffering. And so we just got really honest last week and really approached it from two perspectives. One, we approached it from a a philosophical perspective based on the philosophical arguments um, and really looked at the the sort of the the weaknesses or the holes within the argument that because there's pain and suffering, there can't be a good and loving God. And then we, we also answered the question from a theological perspective at trying to get a better understanding of perhaps why God allows. And more than that, because we can't always know why, um, what it is that God does in the midst of pain and suffering. And so if you weren't here last week, if that's something, uh, a topic that is of interest to you, um, you are welcome to go to our website. On our website, you can get the sermon audio from all the messages um, every week. Uh, if you'd like, you can go to the Google Play Store, the iTunes Store, and download uh, or subscribe to the podcast. And so if that's a message that you're interested in, those are available. that's available uh, on the website. Today, we're talking about, I struggle believing in a God who is silent and doesn't answer my prayers. Now, this was definitely the second most common question that we got when we asked you to, to share with us your own personal struggles and things that you wrestle with. Um, and, and here's the challenge that I, I, I sort of feel like I'm up against um, in answering this question is I feel like this one big broad question actually has a lot of sub-questions to it and may be um, indicative, some of them more than others, of what you personally wrestle with. I know that all of us at different times and in different ways have wrestled with this um, reality. And and so when you say, I struggle with a God who's silent and, and doesn't answer my prayers, you may by that mean, I've asked God a question and I don't have an answer. And so I'm struggling because God seems to be ignoring me. 
or doesn't care or doesn't have a loud enough voice or isn't powerful enough to get my attention. Others, when you ask this question, you may be asking, I want to know what God's will is for me. When you say, I struggle believing in God who's silent and, and who doesn't answer my prayers, it's because you, you're waiting for something that you don't feel like maybe you have yet. And when you say, I want to know what God's will for my life is, you might be talking about the big overarching purpose. Why did God create me? What is it that God expects me to do in this world? What is it? How, how is he uniquely wired and gifted me? And what is it that he's put me on this earth to do? Or it may be very more, much more specific, like um, should I buy this house or should I take this uh, job or should I change cars or whatever it may be? But there may be something very specific and you're like, God, I, I want to honor you with what I do, but I don't know what you want me to do. Or you may be, by asking this question, I struggle believing in a God who's silent and doesn't answer my prayers, is it really may be a a cry that I want to feel God's presence. I want to know he's there. I want to know he's listening. But I don't feel it. And so by silence, it's a signal to you that he doesn't care or he's not there. And so by saying, I struggle believing in a God who doesn't answer my prayers, it may be that at the underlying issue is you want to feel God's presence in your life. Not that you're looking for necessarily a magical sign in the sky. You just want to know he's there and you want to know that he cares. Now, the challenge that I have before me is trying to figure out how to answer all those questions at once. Um, and so here's, here's what we're going to do. I, I'm not going to be able to give, like last week, a perfect answer. I'm not going to be able to answer every nuance of every struggle and question that you have, but I hope to be able to provide you with a framework that will allow you and maybe give you some comfort and encouragement as you move forward. Now, I've already taught on prayer this year, and so I'm going to try to, as much as I can, avoid going back over that same material. So a few months ago, back in January, we did a series called Soul Repair, um, which we were just talking about the historic, classic Christian disciplines or habits um, that make a major difference in your spiritual journey, in your spiritual life, in your ability to connect with God and discern God's movement and his voice in your life. And we talked a lot about a lot of different things, and one of the weeks was on prayer. And what we did is we looked at some things that Jesus taught about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. We're not going to go back and repeat and review that stuff. Again, that message, if you want to listen to it, is available online. And if maybe this message feels like it left just a little bit short, then maybe you can go and check that message out, and maybe that will cover some of the things that I don't cover today. But what I'd like to do is now jump to Matthew chapter 7. Um, and Jesus is going to continue his idea and his teaching on prayer. If you weren't here for the Matthew 6 uh, message, don't worry. You're not going to be missing out. Let's be honest. If you were here, you've already completely forgotten anything that was talked about. Most of you are like, you taught on prayer this year? I get it. All right? I get it. All right? We have slept since then, and it's difficult to remember. So you don't have to remember what we talked about in Matthew 6. Um, you'll, You'll be right on the same page with us in Matthew chapter 7. So whether you're using my Bible, my Bible, you're not using my Bible, whether you're using your Bible, uh, your Bible app, or one of the Bibles that we provide in the seats, my goodness. 
I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. It's been a long few weeks. Um, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to start. So again, uh, and, and if you'd like, these will be, this will be up on the screen for you. And Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So let's just ask the real honest and the real apparent question here. Is Jesus saying that we can ask for whatever we'll want and he'll give it to us? I mean, on the surface, it certainly seems that way. But here's a question I have for you. We'll we'll dive into that more here in a minute. You don't have to answer out loud. I mean, you can, but I'm not. I'm not not trying to put anyone on the spot. Do you want God to give you what you want, when you want it, how you want it? Now, the reason I ask is... Because my answer is, I don't think that you do. Now, the obvious answer is, of course I do, right? That's why I ask. Because I want it, and I want it when I ask, and I want it in the exact manner in which I ask it. If I had wanted it some other way, I would have asked it for it some other way. But I think all of us, if we think about it for a minute, and realize the implications of it for a minute would recognize that, no, I really don't want God to give me everything I want when I want it, how I want it. And, and here's a few illustrations um, that may serve to, to prove the point. Number one is, do you want God to do the same thing for everyone else? Now the answer is quickly no, and we all recognize why. Because if your coworker is praying for the same job promotion you want, you want God to do what you want, when you want it, how you want it for you, but you would prefer for him to ignore your coworker, right? If you're asking God um, for a house or, you know, for him to work the, you're, you're putting an offer in a house and you're hoping and praying and asking him that he will um, step into the situation and organize all the details so that it will work out, Right, your prayer may be in conflict with the prayer of another family. Or if you're praying for a transplant for you or someone you love, your prayer is dependent on someone else's death, a death that another family may be begging God to stop. So we don't really want God to do everything when and how for other people really just for us. And if we stop and think about it for a moment, I don't think, I'm going to assume the best about everyone in this room, I don't think any of us are arrogant enough to think that God is obligated to work on our behalf unlike anyone else in human history. 
So if that's true, then we have to recognize that God can be at work in ways that we don't see or understand. And if he doesn't answer our prayer how we want, when we want, and with what we want, we recognize that God is not somehow morally obligated to keep our requests. Here's another illustration. And some of you have kids. If you don't, that's okay. If you've just been around small children, I don't even have to really go into much explanation, right? But you don't give your kids everything they ask for, right? And we all know why. Because they're not smart enough to know what to ask for. Because they're not smart enough to think long term. Because they're not smart enough to, to ask what's in, for what's in their bo- best interest. Yesterday, hanging out at the house, and my youngest, who just turned four, um, who is a chatterbox at this point and will not stop talking. Um, but if you've been around him, some of you know who he is, right? His talk is not necessarily always clear and articulate. And so yesterday, I don't even remember uh, what I was doing, but he was just standing next to me talking, and that's pretty common these days. And at some point, he says, Dad, uh, for Christmas, um, I, I want to... I want to ask for uh, a knife for And I was like, what? And he said it just like that. And I was like, an iPod? Because his his older brother and sister each got an iPod for Christmas this last year. I'm like, an iPod? No. An iPhone. And I was like, an iPad? (laughs) Like I start going through this process of guessing, right? So finally I'm like, will you slow down? And say it slower. And he's like, I want a knife pocket. And I'm like, a knife pocket. Oh, you want a pocket knife. Like, okay, we finally connected all the dots. Because his older brother has a pocket knife. um, That we, you know, his older brother has to keep up high. Because his younger brother thinks it's so awesome. And so he's like, I want a pocket knife for Christmas. And I'm thinking, Hopefully, I mean, that's like eight months away. You'll probably forget. And if you don't, then we'll just find one that's plastic. All right? Because in his mind, it's the coolest thing ever. How much cool stuff can you do with a pocket knife? But I recognize the danger he poses to himself, to his sister, and the risk of me going to jail by giving him what he wants. Right? And there are a million examples we could all give if you've spent any time around small children because they're not smart enough to know how to ask for what's in their own best interest because they don't understand consequences fully and they can't look into the future. The bridge to a child, from a child to an adult is much, much smaller than the bridge from us to our Creator. And so sometimes the most loving thing God can do is perhaps to not answer a prayer that we so desperately pray. Here's, here's a, one other observation on why I don't think um, God, Jesus here is teaching that God will give us whatever we want, when we want it, how we want it. Aside from the fact that we hopefully recognize now that that would be a bad idea. 
Notice what he says, Matthew 7. We'll we'll jump to verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, or you will give him a stone, or if you're or if he asks for a fish, you will give him a serpent. So notice the focus here. The focus here is on the goodness of what God gives. If you jump down to verse eleven, at the very end, Jesus concludes with How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts? To those who ask him. So the focus of this passage is on the fact that the Heavenly Father gives good gifts, gives great gifts, that when he gives something, it's not for your destruction, it's for your good. Now, here's what Jesus doesn't say, but I think we can assume because of the focus and the trajectory of this passage. That as a good father, if the son had asked for a serpent, wouldn't have given it. The point of the passage is if the son asked for a fish, certainly a good father wouldn't hand him a snake that would be dangerous. But I think the flip side is true, even though Jesus doesn't necessarily articulate it, that if the son had asked for something destructive or dangerous the goodness of the Father would have directed him elsewhere. So it's the goodness of the Father that determines what kind of answers or what kind of gifts we receive as a result to our ask and our seeking and our knocking that Jesus commands us to. Here's another passage that I think will illustrate this in a different way but is actually even more explicit in that Jesus says we're going to get what we ask for. John 14. This, this idea is recorded in all four of your Gospels. I just grabbed the John 14 passage, but you can find it in all four of the Gospels uh, covering Jesus' life and teaching. John 14, starting in verse 12. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father." Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Now, this is what I mean. It seems even more explicit here. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is even more explicit in that it appears to suggest that we can ask for anything, and Jesus has obligated himself to do it. But again... Let's just put it into perspective and into context. So the verse starts out, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me. Now, we have spent a lot of time in the Gospel of John over the last two years. And if you've been with us, you remember how much John talks about belief in Jesus. Matter of fact, the thesis of his entire gospel is John 20, 30, and 31. Now, Jesus did many more signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The purpose of John's gospel is so that you will come to a saving belief in Jesus. And throughout the entire month of February, we were in John chapter 7 and 8. And what we saw over and over and over is that Jesus countered false belief. 
that people would claim to believe in him and then he would challenge them because there was something skewed in their belief. And he was constantly pushing and challenging and encouraging people towards appropriate belief, the kind of belief that leads to eternal life. And so Jesus is going to say in that kind of context, those who believe in me, those who properly believe in me, who have the kind of belief and trust in me that leads to eternal life, and do the works that I do. So first of all, he is drawing down this promise to a narrow group of people. This is not a promise that can be just written in the sky for all who can read. But this promise is based on those who have a proper belief in Jesus and do the kind of things that he did, which implies you understand his will and his mission and what he's trying to accomplish in his ministry. And then he says, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. That's a bold statement. And we've talked about it before. We're going to skip over it pretty quickly here now. But Jesus just said, hey, you guys are going to do more than I did because my time here is done. Jesus, his public ministry only lasted three years. From the time he started doing miracles and teaching in public until the time he was executed, three years. And he says, you guys are going to do a lot more because my time here is done. But you're going to keep going and you're going to carry the mission forward. Whatever you ask in my name. Not whatever you ask, but whatever you ask in my name. You, you might, if we were going, if you were going to say this today, because names don't mean anything today, right? You pick a name based on how cool it is or how cute it is or how well it sounds with your last name. Like that's how we do it, right? Names don't really mean a lot. Maybe a middle name does, right? All my kids' middle names mean something. All their first names are because um, my wife and I uh, decided they sounded cool, right? They were different, but not so unique. They'd get beat up, right? They were in that balance that you, every parent tries to find. Um, and so we don't mean a lot. So if to make it more analogous to this culture, maybe we could say, whatever you say or whatever you ask in my title, because a title communicates something about someone, right? Which is the way a name functioned in, in this context, in this culture. Whatever you ask in my name, because my name represents something, Jesus represents God with us, Christ is a title. It's not his last name. It's a title, meaning the anointed one. It's a direct translation of the Hebrew, Meshua, which means Messiah, the promised one, the answer to the problem that we've been searching for. So Jesus says, what you ask in my name and a recognition of who I am based on a proper belief in who I am and someone who's committed to the mission that I'm committed to. I will do. And then it says that. And 
If you have a different translation, it may say in order that or so that, which is actually a, a better translation because this is actually a, a purpose conjunction here. Meaning that the word that means for the purpose of, so that, in order that. I'll do it in order that the Father and the Son are glorified. Again, we get this more narrow focus of exactly what kind of prayers, what kind of requests Jesus is going to answer. He expects that those who meet these qualifications are going to be asking for things that align with his character and his mission, what he's trying to accomplish, and are going to ask for things that will bring God and his son Jesus glory. And those are the kind of prayers that Jesus has no hesitation on answering. Um, I read a great quote uh, a few weeks ago in a book, and I would totally give the author credit, but I can't remember where I stole it from. So it's, this is not original to me. I stole it from someone. I just don't remember who. And next time I come across it in, a, in the same book, then I'll steal it again, and then that time I'll give them credit. But, but I read this phrase that said, don't pray a prayer you're not willing to be the answer to. And Jesus here is calling his disciples based on a right understanding and perspective of who he is with a will committed to do the kind of things that he does for the purpose of bringing him and his father glory. Ask and I'll do it. And I think this quote sort of speaks to the heart of what this is after. Because a lot of times when we pray and ask God to do something, we're really hoping that he'll just do it for us so that we don't have to. If you have grown up in church, this will make sense. If you've never grown up in church, if you haven't spent a lot of time in church, maybe this will be foreign. But uh, I can't tell you how many people I know and have seen and have heard who have used prayer as an excuse to procrastinate. Well, I'll pray about it. It means, well, I don't really want to do it, so I'll act spiritual like I'm going to check with God first. Right? Let's be honest. If you grew up in church, you've probably, I've done it too. Right? We've made that mistake. Many times our commitment to pray about it means that we're not willing to step forward and do it. And so we can procrastinate and we can shove responsibility off on God or we can just hope that whoever asked us to do something will forget about it if we pray long enough about it. But the kind of prayers God answers come from the kind of people who are willing to put their feet and their hands into action. My wife has been doing this Bible study. Remind me of the name discerning the voice of God. Obviously, I haven't been doing it, but she has. And it's talked repeatedly in this study that she's been doing about how the author talks about putting yourself in a position of obedience before you pray. Putting yourself in a position of being willing to do whatever God says before you ask Him. 
as opposed to w- waiting for the answer and then deciding, yeah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Don't pray a prayer you're unwilling to be the answer to. I am going to have to go a lot faster. <laughs> I am not very far. We're not going to. If you're in the Bible app, you can forget what falls at the end. I'm just not going to make it there um, today. Here's what I can tell you. The Bible is very clear. I'll close with this idea. The Bible is very clear on a lot of things. Not everything, but a lot of things. But unfortunately, there's been this idea and this phrase that swims around in Christian culture that the Bible is the roadmap to life, which sounds cute and, you know, it's fine. It's, it's an analogy that communicates a few cool ideas. But, but here's the problem with it, right, is that a roadmap answers the questions that um, you s- specifically need about the future, if I'm, like this summer, we're driving to South Dakota because my younger brother moved there last year. Um, he took a job up there, so we're going to go see him. And I've never been to South Dakota. And based on what I hear, there's probably not a whole lot between here and there. Um, but we're going to make that drive. And so I'm going to pull out a map. I'm not going to pull a paper map. Nobody does that anymore. But I'm going to pull out my phone, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search not only because I need to know what road to take, but I need to know where the towns are and the gas stations are. Because if I'm down to a quarter of a tank, I need to know whether it's 20 miles or 200 miles to the next town. And the problem is that the Bible gives you some specifics and some directions, but it doesn't answer every question. It doesn't give you every detail, and it certainly doesn't tell you every piece of information about what's coming down the road. The Bible isn't clear on everything, but it is clear on a lot of things. The Bible's not going to tell you who to marry. It will tell you what kind of person to marry. The Bible's not going to tell you which house to buy or which job to take. But it'll tell you what kind of person you should be in whatever job you find in. It tells you what kind of neighbor you should be in whatever house you live in. It's not going to tell you whether you should scrap your truck and buy a new one or put a new engine in your truck. (laughs) Those who laugh know exactly the situation that I've been dealing with the last two weeks in my house. But the Bible is very clear about how to handle your finances. There's a lot of things that the Bible's not clear on, but it's very clear on things like forgiveness and how to treat others and how to love. And it's very clear on things like money and sex and truth. And in this idea of kind of giving you direction, practical advice for life, um, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 12 say this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the names of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If you have a different version than the one I just read from, which is 
uh, the English Standard Version, um, where it says be constant in prayer. It might say something a a little different. Um, It might say be devoted to prayer, which I actually think is probably a better rendering uh, of the word itself. Be devoted to prayer. Here's it's interesting. Here's another instance that same Greek word. Your New Testament was originally written in Greek, uh, where that same Greek word was used in Mark three nine. This is not on the screen. I'm just going to read it for you. And he told his disciples. So Jesus giving instruction. Told his disciples have a boat ready. Same word. A little bit of a different form, but same word. For him, because of the crowd. Take a boat and have it ready. Set it aside. Put it aside for a specific purpose. Make sure that the boat is devoted to what we need it for. Here's some other mentions of devotion in the New Testament. Acts one fourteen. All these, the early Christians, were one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Acts Two, again, talking about the early church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, Acts 6, 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, Colossians 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer or devote yourself in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being devoted to prayer doesn't mean that's all you do. Any more than a husband who's devoted to his wife does nothing but spend time with her. That's not what it means. What it means is that the way in which you live your life and the decisions you make are determined by your devotion to your spouse. Being devoted to prayer means it marks and changes and does something in your life, although... 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul does say we should be continuously or constant in in prayer or pray without ceasing. So what is, if we're supposed to be devoted to prayer, what does that teach us about prayer? Does that mean God just wants us to treat him like a vending machine? Just come back over and over and just keep asking for stuff and keep asking for stuff and keep asking for stuff and keep asking for stuff. Is that what God is teaching or communicating by being devoted to prayer? And if not, then what does that mean? It probably means that prayer is not about asking for stuff. I, in the message I preached like two months ago on prayer, I, I asked this question, and this is the only thing I'm going to steal from that other message, and we'll move on. The, the purpose of prayer is to foster relationship. That's what the devotion is about. And if you ever want to know if prayer has become about more than the relationship with God, there's a great test. If you ask God for something and he gave it to you, I mean, and I mean he gave you what you wanted, when you wanted it, and how you wanted it, would you find more joy and satisfaction and getting what you wanted, or would you find more joy and satisfaction in the relationship and the connection that you had with God? If the answer is I'd find more joy and satisfaction in getting what I wanted, 
then our approach and our thoughts and our attitude about prayer are misguided. They're off base. I'll end with this thought here. I know I said that earlier, but now I'm really going to end it with this thought here. I, you know, we live in Colorado. We're a long ways from the ocean, right? And if you've never experienced the ocean, or maybe your kids have never experienced the ocean, and they said, I want to know what the ocean like, is like. Can you imagine just bringing them a shot glass of salt water? Now, here's what a shot glass of salt water can do, right? If you want to know what it's like to jump in to the ocean, you can pour the salt water in your eyes, and you'll know what it feels like, right? If you, if you want to know what it feels like to get surprised by a wave, you can drink the salt water, and you'll know. If you want to know what it smells like, you can smell the salt water. But a shot glass of salt water isn't a substitute for the ocean. Asking God for something is not a substitute for a relationship with him. Coming to God just right before you eat or only in a time of crisis does not represent the devotion that God has called us to in prayer. Just getting a a small taste of God's presence because you come into a place like this is not a substitute for devoting yourself to who he is. Sometimes God is silent. Sometimes it feels like he's not answering or he didn't answer the way we want. But we have to keep in mind two things. One, like we read last week in Isaiah 55, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And sometimes the most loving thing he can do is to not give us what we want. And the other is this. The purpose of prayer is not for you to get what you want. The purpose of prayer is to be immersed in who God is so that you get the full experience and that you don't cheat yourself with bad imitations. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for our time together today and Uh, God, I recognize that sometimes it just doesn't feel like you're listening. It doesn't feel like you're there. It doesn't feel like you care or want to give us what we want. But God, we're going to just press in and be devoted to you and not settle for cheap substitutes that don't really connect us with you, that that don't include us being devoted to you and being connected to you. Lord, I pray that even now you would begin to shape our belief and the things that we do and our desire to bring you and the Father glory and our desire to have our wills align with your will and to be after what you were after and to rest in the fact that prayer is about that connection, not about a dispensing of gifts or a dispensing of answers to our questions. 
want you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment. And I'm, I'm going to close with this thought and I'm going to hand it over to Jay and to Trina. And I'm going to just give you some time to pray and you pray and do what you need to do in this moment. Um, be honest with God and allow Him to speak and connect with you. There's certainly nothing wrong with asking for things. By all means, Jesus tells us, ask, seek, knock. But maybe part of our asking should be, God, help me to believe in who you really are. God, help to align my will with your will. Help me to do the kind of things that you did. Help me to press in and be devoted to you no matter what. And I'm just going to give you a few moments to pray.